Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 508 of the podcast and it is Friday the 18th of September 2020 as I record this. So today I'm talking to Derek Depka about audiobooks. We start off by talking about how he got into writing, multiple streams of income and lessons learned and then we talk more detail about audiobooks, why they're so important, tips for recording yourself, working with narrators, audiobook marketing, and some of the things that might be holding you back. So that is coming up. And uh, ironically, we had a slight mic issue in the first section. It's not too bad, uh, but we got that fixed in the second half. But I wanted to mention it because it is an audiobook episode. So that's coming up. In publishing and marketing news this week, talking of audio, Amazon Music now includes podcasts. So you can find this show and also my books and travel podcast on Amazon Music or Amazon Podcast, whatever they want to call it. And it is now native to your various uh, devices. And uh, with Spotify rumoured to be moving into audiobooks and Amazon moving into podcasts, it is everyone doing everything in audio these days. Of course, Apple uh, were the first really to do podcasts and audio. And of course, Google Play has podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Audio. So it really is being around every single platform is super important because everyone chooses their ecosystem. So also in audio, Written Word Media has launched audiothicket.com for audiobook promotion, which is so good. And now we do have Chirp by BookBub, which is available. But uh, Audio Thicket is interesting because they also have an option for Audible exclusive audiobooks, as well as an option for discounted wide audio. Now, Chirp can only be used for wide audio where you can adjust the price on Findaway, for example. So I haven't tried it yet, but Written Word Media have a great blog post which I will be linking to in the show notes so that you can check that out and consider using audiothicket.com for audiobook promotion. Now we still are in the early days of this kind of audiobook email marketing but I know it works because I'm an audiobook listener you know, I listen to a lot of audio and I often monitor some of these things for deals Although I would say that so much of it is American and what I often find is that a deal on uh, Chirp, for example, is not valid in the UK. (laughs) So I'm really hoping that some of these things uh, become more international in the same way that many of the email lists have done over the years. So interesting times. Uh, Also, talking about marketing on the Ask Ally podcast this week, another um, audio, a special episode with Amazon representatives talking about Amazon advertising. Now, usually it's other people talking about Amazon advertising, but this is Amazon themselves. So that is the on the Ask Ally podcast, A-L-L-I. And that's the obviously, if you don't know, the Alliance of Independent Authors, of which I am a uh, member and also advisor. Plus, you can also find on that same feed, Orna Ross and I talking about 1000 True Fans, which is Kevin Kelly's essay, uh, what blog blog post that he wrote uh, 
14 years ago, more than that. And we talk about what does a thousand true fans really mean? Why is it important for authors, increasingly important for authors, plus how to find and keep those thousand true fans? So that is the Ask Ally podcast. And then also I wanted to mention in terms of useful for advertising, Publisher Rocket has an update. It now includes data for the UK market, yay, as well as ebook data for the German market, also very useful. So uh, Publisher Rocket is is just great for categories and keywords and I use it regularly and uh, if you'd like to use it you can get it through my link at thecreativepen.com forward slash rocket or of course just put in Publisher Rocket and you'll find it. So a quick personal update this week. I am in the home straight for Tree of Life. I've got about 10,000 words left to the end of the first draft. And this normally goes quite quickly because now I know what I'm talking about. I can just finish the book. So I am essentially every day. I'm actually back at the cafe. I don't know if I said this. We are, it is you know, all the COVID secure stuff, they've changed it completely. So you now just order on your mobile and they bring the coffee and, and it's uh, touch-free coffee and all, all the different various things that they have. But I'm just pleased because I get to go back to my cafe. So that is actually really helping me. I have managed, obviously, to have a routine at home, but I love going, you know, walking in the morning, getting out the house, walking to the cafe, the sitting down, working for I normally get to about between a thousand and fifteen hundred words and then I really need a break so then I walk home and I'll do my second batch of writing when I get home so all up I'm probably getting about 40 minutes of walking I might be listening to a podcast or an audiobook or something and I'll get some fresh air and, and all of that and then I'll do my words and it just really helps break up the day because uh, I don't know about you but it has felt like a little bit of Groundhog Day. So I'm happy to be back uh, in the cafe. Who knows how long it will last, <laughs> but I'm making the most of it. Uh, also this week in a personal um, episode on my books and travel podcast, which is uh, an interview with Holly Wharton, but also more of a discussion about long distance walking because I do long distance walking, multi-day walking. Uh, I mentioned I've got an ultra marathon coming up. And uh, so we really, you can tell the enthusiasm in our voices. So if you love walking or you're interested in doing a bit more, check that out on books and travel podcast. And uh, that is on whichever podcast app you are listening on. I also want to recommend a book this week that I have been listening to or to and fro to the cafe called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Now, uh, as I said, I've been listening to it. It's a pretty short audiobook, so it's a short book. It's more about the principles of money. It's not like how to do stock picking or any of that kind of stuff. It really is about behavioural psychology and it's a very good book to be reading in the time of the pandemic because uh, just a very interesting year in terms of how the financial markets and you can see fear in the various graphs. Uh, not that I was looking at the graphs in the book or anything. I don't even know if there are any because I was listening to the audiobook. But it is super useful and I'm going to be listening to it, to it again multiple times. It's one of those books that you're like, oh, wow, okay, that's totally me or I really recognise that behaviour. And by identifying our own behaviour and the way we see the world, our worldview as such, it really helps and it's all part of becoming more self-aware. Now, what I find interesting with creative people perhaps you are in this camp perhaps you're not but if you're at all uncomfortable about talking about money or you just really struggle with that then it's your 
psychology and your mindset that you have to work on. It's not other people's, it's yours. So I hope that will be useful. I've added it to my list of money books because I really, this is a topic I'm clearly very passionate about. Uh, So thecreativepen.com forward slash money books are the various books I recommend. Yeah, so that is the personal update. Thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. Lots of you loved Erin's interview about going wide and and many of you have joined Wide for the Win Facebook group. Uh, Tiara says, uh, thank you for this episode. I applied to find the Facebook page minutes into the podcast. <laughs> it is hard to navigate through the advice around marketing as it largely remains about what works on the one exclusive platform. So I'm really glad that was useful. Um, Ellie says, Ellie or Eli, not quite sure, (laughs) Uh, as a devout fan of yours, I've only ever been wide with my books. I'm glad for it because my first audiobook has been a huge success wide. I get more income from library checkouts than I do from Amazon. That is great, Ellie. I'm I'm thrilled about that and and I'm more than thrilled because I'm I'm working on a article about uh, subscription models and how they are going to impact our income in the next sort of 2 to 5 years. I'm still thinking about this. So I am, I haven't written it down yet, but this room this was is great to hear that you're getting this income from library checkouts. So many authors just don't even think about income from libraries, but we're so lucky that we can have that. Also, uh, and there were lots of other comments, but I wanted to also share a few about expanding comfort zones. So I um, obviously talked about getting out of my own comfort zone, trying to start pushing that. A couple of people replied to me and said, don't talk about that. I am still surviving. And that is absolutely understandable whether you're still struggling with pandemic things and your health or the fires in in western US or you know there are a lot of difficult situations in the world so don't worry you don't have to expand your comfort zone you can just uh, survive and uh, get through this time and this too shall pass is is a bit of a good mantra this point in time Uh, but a few people are happy to get out their comfort zones. Horace, I love this. Horace says, I have gotten outside my four walls. It was to go down to the UPS store and mail out copies of my upcoming book to influencers in my genre. Getting out helped relieve my concerns of leaving my home. I now have a custom mask with my author brand logo on it, which is great. And there are a lot of print on demand um, mask things that you can do now. Uh, I haven't gone with that. I was trying to think of what I would put on it, but I'm I'm... I'm uh, I'm just going with <laughs> some basic ones. Also, um, Charlotte in Paris says, listening to you talk about getting out of one's comfort zone after a year spent pretty much at home made something go click in my head. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. And I really hope that whatever went click works out for you. And finally, MTM says, and just to be clear, MTM has foraging education and experience. (laughs) So MTM stepped out of the comfort zone, finally summoned up the courage to eat a parasol mushroom after a mere 20 years. And that's brilliant. Very important to say that again, education and experience. Don't go out picking mushrooms <laughs> in the world. But I love this because, um, you know, and, and MTM says another edible fungi on the list of the things I'm confident picking. I also just looked up. So in Britain, we say fungi, but Americans say fungi. So just to be clear, if you Google that, you will find that there are two official pronunciations. 
<laughs> so anyway, I love fungi. And in fact, another book recommendation, I just put them out there all the time, don't I? I am listening to Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake on audiobook, which is just blowing my mind. And actually, this week, we watched a documentary called Fantastic Fungi with Paul Stamets, who's an awesome mycologist. If you're into mycology, you'll know of Paul Stamets. He's he's like... Uh, you know, just incredible. Anyway, he'll probably save the world <laughs> with his fungi. So uh, yeah, so that I thought those were some cool comments to share. And I love sharing your comments. As ever, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen, leave a comment on the show notes or email me joanna at thecreativepen.com. Let me know what you think of the show. Send me a picture of where you're listening in from. I always love to see where you are. So today's show on the audiobook theme is sponsored by findawayvoices.com. It's time to take back your freedom and go wide with your audio, control your prices, sell direct and more. So why use Findaway? Well, they distribute to the world's largest network of audiobook retailers and libraries. Your audiobook can be in Audible, Apple Books, Google Play, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, Scribs, Storytel, among many others, 43 at last count, plus library systems like Hoop and Biblioteca, so you can tell your readers to go and check your audiobooks out the library and get them for free and you still get paid. You also have access to Chirp Books and BookBub audio advertising, which I found is a great way to sell more audiobooks. Plus, you can use Authors Direct in some markets to sell direct audio to readers on an app with great audio quality. So Findaway can help you create professional audiobooks. If you already have your files, you can just upload them and distribute them as I do with my nonfiction. But Findaway can also help you find the best narrator and work through the process of production. So recently, they helped me find a perfect narrator for my Map Walker trilogy. And if you've been hearing about my issues with this, I have literally been trying to figure it out for a year. And in the end, I was like, right, I'm going to work with find a way. I filled in a questionnaire about the books. They gave me lots of samples to choose from with very transparent pricing. So you know what it's going to be. And uh, I am so happy with the process. My new narrator for the Matt Walker trilogy is has just finished the first book, which is just being proofed right now and the other two hopefully will be out by Christmas. So I'm thrilled to be working with find a way and the and they found me a narrator that I had spent a year debating and trying to figure out myself. So I am really happy. (laughs) Now remember, even if you have gone exclusive with another vendor in the past, once your contract is up, you can go wide. And if you paid for production, you can do this after one year of exclusivity rather than the seven. So find a way, even have a template letter you can use to take your audiobooks wide on their website. So at (laughs) findawayvoices.com. So you guys know that I only work with podcast sponsors who I actively use and ethically can promote myself. I love Findaway. I hope you know I am an epic fan and uh, I hope you will take back your audio freedom and check out findawayvoices.com today. Right, so this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating this show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thank you to everyone supporting this show on Patreon, especially in this still crazy time. 
Thanks to new and returning patrons this week, including Odisa, Amanda Schiller, Sarah Madison, Amy Renshaw, Brooke Carr and William. I really do appreciate your support on Patreon. It demonstrates that you find the show useful after all this time and you want it to continue. You can support the show with just a couple of dollars a month, less than a coffee a month, and you'll get the extra monthly Q&A audio, which I just recorded this morning as I record this and sent out to everyone and uh, we covered loads of topics this um, month. Basically, it's an extra sort of 40 to 45 minutes of me talking uh, once a month and uh, just for a couple of extra dollars. You also get, if you join up in September, you'll get 50% off my courses for September 2020. Join now and get that discount and the other benefits. And normally you get 10% off, but I'm doing 50% off this month. You can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. And remember, of course, if you do uh, uh, sort of join the Patreon, it doesn't mean you're locked in forever. You can go in and out. You can just support for a month or two, whatever you decide. There is no time limit uh, on this. But thank you to everyone who continues to support for the long term. It makes a huge difference. Right, let's get into the interview. Derek Depka is the best-selling author of seven non-fiction books on peak performance, habits, fitness, and entrepreneurship. He's also a content marketing and digital marketing consultant. Welcome, Derek. Hey, Joanna. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing. I did not expect to be a writer. That's the first thing I was, my whole life was planned out that I was going to become a rock star. <laughs> so I started playing guitar when I was 12, a couple of years into it. I'm like, that's my dream. That's what I'm going to do. So I, I went to school for music. That's what I went to college for. And shortly before that, I got into fitness as well. So those are my two big passions is music and, and fitness. And so getting into writing came after I moved to LA, I was sleeping on an air mattress valet parking cars, you know, typical uh, starving artist scenario. And I got into personal development. I learned about this whole world of entrepreneurship. So my dream was like, if only I could use my talents, the things that I'm passionate about to earn an income. That was, there's something I, I didn't mind valet parking cars, but I'm like, I wasn't, I don't think I was put on this earth to sit here and park cars uh, for the rest of my life and struggle to make it music. So I wanted to, I got into writing actually. I started blogging about fitness and, and creating YouTube videos and different things. And it was all really just a means of supporting myself while I pursued my my passion for uh, music. What ended up happening was I, I fell in love with this process of helping others with the, the idea of writing about personal development, writing about fitness, talking about it. And eventually, uh, I, I published my first Kindle book, middle of 2012. And it was inspired because I won a Kindle e-reader. Uh, by posting on a blog. So I thought, okay, I've been writing on a blog. Let's see if I can turn this into a book. I did. First book sold about three copies in that first well month. Well done. And, <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, thanks to my mom for one of those uh, sales. And then uh, second book maybe made about 70 to 100 bucks in that first month that it went on sale a few months later when I published that. Now, this was, it took me months of writing. So I'm like, okay, if I'm spending months writing this, plus what little money I'm making to even get the book out there. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm losing money when I did the math. And uh, so I would have, at that point, I would have gone on to my next shiny object, except that I went to a seminar in November of 2012. 
uh, learned about relationships and influence and, and these deeper skills, not just book publishing, but like these really essential entrepreneurship and life skills. And I, I got so inspired, I decided, you know what, I'm going to write another book. And the reason that there's a lesson in this story, that third book ended up uh, becoming a, I published it with, I wrote it in about a week, published it within three to four weeks after uh, I had the idea. It was live on Amazon and hit number one bestseller in weight loss, generated almost $6,000 in royalties in 11 days. And at that point I go, okay, this is the moment. It was surreal. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And then at the same time, I'm like, I've been trying this for years. Like finally it's actually worked out. And so I, I realized I'd, I'd cracked the code to this whole self-publishing thing and in marketing. And I wanted to make sure though. So I ended up publishing multiple books that all ended up becoming bestsellers in their categories and started working with authors in 2013 to teach them uh, what I learned. And I, I share this because I hope there's a couple lessons that you can get a, as a listener for this. And that is, first of all, that third book, I wrote it in about a week, which is uh, pretty quick. At the same time, I had been writing for about two years, uh, a year or two prior to this, and I was actually repurposing my first book that was a failure. So that first book that seemed like a failure was actually creating the ingredients for a book that later on became a, a bestseller in, in my breakthrough book. So that's why when I see authors who are struggling, they're like, oh, what if I put all this time and money into a book and it doesn't work out? You're, not only are you going to learn from that, but you can literally take pieces from that or the lessons from that and potentially reuse it or repackage it and as you gain more skills and have that possibly be successful. Mm. So that's the that's one big lesson. And then the other thing is that as much as I hated it going through that experience, I also realized that I needed so many more skills than I had when I published my first book. So I'm glad it didn't work out. Because it, it really compelled me to go, I got to understand marketing. I got to understand this whole book publishing thing more. And that got me hyper-focused on investing in my skills and learning this, which eventually paid off to not only help myself with my future books, but now help all the authors that I work with. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. My first book was the same. I, I almost feel like even though there's lots of information about uh, things that still as much information as we put out, people still have to learn their own lessons. And we all have to learn lessons in life. That is life. You get taught the lesson and then you learn the lesson and then you move on. And that is what you talk about in your in all your books, I think, really, is improving yourself. And we can all keep improving ourselves. I do want to ask you, what happened to the rock star dream? Does music still play a part in your life? Yeah, I, I still play music. So after I had... I was playing in a band, and by the time I had my third book, uh, that band broke up, which the I was a part of the decision to break up. Most of the band members uh, didn't want to keep it going, just some disagreements in the direction. And so then I got focused on my business, and what I found is that this is my, my passion. I still love music, but my passion really is coaching and creating and, and writing. And it's funny because I know talking to authors, I, I imagine there's going to be some people who listen to this who can relate who go – and I don't like marketing. I don't like the business side of things. And for me, that was how I was as a musician. I'm like, I don't want to have anything to do with the business. Like I went to school, um, Belmont University in Nashville, and there's a whole music business curriculum. And I'm like, I don't care at all about that. I just want to write music. I just want to play music, write music, and have someone else handle the business side. So what I found once I got into authorship and, and the business side is it actually became 
instead of being this separate thing that I didn't like, I learned to embrace it and go, oh, this is actually a creative outlet for me. The marketing and the the ability to get your word out there, it really is a way to be of service to people, to teach the value of what you have to offer. And, and so I fell in love with the teaching and the coaching side of things. So now that's my outlet. And the whole rock star thing, I realized I love being on stage in front of people and entertaining them and, and lighting them up. And it's like Tony Robbins talks about, he's kind of <laughs> wishes he could be a rock star. I don't know if that's what he said or other people said about him, but I found that's the same outlet that I have now. Like coming on a show like this or speaking in front of an audience, it gives me that same feeling that music gave me. And now I get the added reward of people coming back and saying, hey, here's how your advice helped me. Here's the breakthrough I made. Here's the books I'm selling now. So it's become my new passion. Oh, that's really great to hear. And I actually think that is the secret to some of being a long-term non-fiction author is wanting to serve a niche and to keep uh, becoming better in that niche and serving more people over time. I, I feel like that's a really important part of it. But in terms of your business, because the other thing about being a non-fiction author, it's not just about the book sales. So what are your multiple streams of income? What does your business look like right now? What are all the different things you've got going? So books play a role in the income. It's not the primary source of income. And it, it was when I first had some success because that was the first thing that took off. But I, I didn't get into writing books because I thought I could make a full-time income from writing books. To me, I didn't think I could make much of any money from writing books, but I thought this would be a brand-building, authority-building effort. And it just so happened that, yes, you actually can generate a nice income from books, especially if you're a very prolific fiction or nonfiction author. I think of the Steve Scotts of the world and some of my other friends that are authors that just publish book after book. For me, it's books build my audience. And what I really love and my main source of income are courses, coaching, group coaching, going deeper. And I found that as much as I love books, and this is not a knock against books, it's just they can only go so far. So doing things like I started doing more Facebook challenges recently, group coaching calls, feedback, coaching sessions. It just allows me to work deeper with authors and entrepreneurs. And that's what I, I really love. And it's the piece that books can't provide from a fulfillment and value standpoint. But it's also a much larger source of income. So I'd say 80% of the income comes from coaching and course sales or affiliate sales. No, and that is completely correct in terms of a non-fiction business model. And I think it's all very important on this show. I talk about it a lot is the multiple streams of income. And my non-fiction income streams are also the books are one of them, but they bring people into the affiliate um, sales. They bring people into the courses. I don't do uh, coaching or consulting like you do, but they're certainly not uh, the only stream of income. And so it's great to hear you talk about that. But you also have a particular passion for audiobooks. And uh, we're both passionate about that. So why do you think audiobooks are so fantastic? I got an audiobooks probably about 2015. And this answers the, the why here in a second. And that is what inspired it was I had a friend who I told her about a, a new book that I wrote. I think it was, might have been Breakthrough Your BS, uh, a self-help book I wrote. And she's, oh, great. Let me know when it's on audio. I, or I only listen to audiobooks. So I just thought, well, I mean, come on. <laughs> you can get the print book. You can get that. You can get the Kindle editions. Read the version I have. And knowing what I know about business, it's, it's in service to what your audience wants. So I heard that. And then I started hearing more people talk about audio. And I, coming from a music background, it's like a, duh. Some people prefer audio. 
I myself would drive around another part-time job I had when I was delivering or when I was valet parking was delivering hot wings. I don't even eat hot wings. Uh, <laughs> but the, the reason I took the job was because it was I can drive around and I can listen to podcasts and teleseminars and webinar recordings. And so that was like I got a whole year or so of just immersing myself in my education by driving around and listening to audio. So I had a personal passion for it. When I connected that dots, uh, the dots, I go, oh, yeah, why not get it out there on audio? So the first reason why is there's a whole group of people who will either only listen to audio or they're primarily going to consume through audio. And I know you talk about this in your book, uh, Joanna, Audio for Authors. I, I remember reading about it and, and you were reminding me like, yeah, you might be doing – you might be exercising or doing housework or doing different things. And that's when people – you have to stop to sit down and read a book, but you can listen to audio when doing other things. So this means – more people that you can reach. Another reason why is consumption, right? What actually gets people to consume your book? Yes, selling a book is great. Selling a book makes you short-term income. Creating a fan, a customer for life, that's your long-term business play. And you won't get these fans for life unless they actually read your book and love it and rave about it and tell their friends about it and then buy all your other books. So that's another reason is that you get the uh, people who could be more likely to consume the book in addition to buying it. Another reason, you have additional royalties, you have new readers, you have enhanced consumption. It also is just another asset that you have where you've gone through all the work of writing the book, of editing the book, of getting the cover design, of marketing and driving traffic to the Amazon page or the different pages that it's on. Why not just take one extra step and make sure that the audiobook edition is there? And we'll get into some of the – talk about some of the how-to and technical things. But for me, one of my approaches, what I choose to do is record it myself. And I have a book that is – it's one of my shortest books. It's about 47 minutes in audio, less than an hour. And this is one of the highest-selling books of mine on audio. It sold um, – I remember there's months where it's selling well over 100 copies without really any extra marketing. So it's it sold thousands of copies by this point. And it took me about three hours once I knew the process start to finish to, to create the audiobook. So I just do the math. I'm like three hours for thousands of additional book sales without much of any extra marketing and promotion. That to me is a no-brainer. And even if it took me 10, 20, 30 hours, it's creating this asset that you then have as a bonus if you want to offer it to people, it's an incentive to say, hey, get my book during the launch and I'll throw in the audiobook if you get it during these next few days, if you have the rights to do that. Uh, it's uh, something that you can sell on its own. And so there's just all these multiple benefits that you have. And again, you've already have done the hardest work of, of creating the audio. So that's just probably a few of the benefits off the top of my mind. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, I think many people get discouraged because it feels like audiobooks are such a big deal because we're writers. We write stuff and we know how to do that. And there are so many things that potentially you have to learn when you become an author. And, and obviously it can take, that didn't take you very long, but that's because you know how to do it. So let's talk about uh, tips. So what are your tips for self-narrating audiobooks? And uh, when is it a good idea and when is it not such a good idea? So I'll start with the second one, when it could be a good idea, when it's not a good idea. When it's not a good idea is for fiction authors in particular, usually the, the standard is the sex of the protagonist will be the same sex as the narrator. So female protagonist, female narrator, male protagonist, male narrator. That's the standard. And there's usually going to be multiple 
characters in a book and it's typical to have one narrator. So that, that's fine that you're going to have different characters. You don't have to get a different or a different narrator for each character that you think about who your main protagonist is and that can influence the decision. Second thing is I hear people with accents and it's totally fine. Uh, as long as you can understand the the voice, that's something that people are wondering about. I, I get questions about that and I think it's fine. The only question is how easily can people understand you? And if you're not sure, and this also applies to what if I don't like the sound of my voice? And I hear that a lot. And the thing is, it's pretty normal to not love the sound of your voice. That's a very common thing because when you hear yourself on recording, it's different than what you hear in your head. And that it's the mismatch that your brain goes, oh, I don't like that. It's not what I'm used to. Is that really what I sound like? But in truth, there's a good chance other people are totally okay with your voice and may even enjoy it. And I experience this when I have people send me samples and they're like, I don't like my voice. And I'm like, your voice sounds great. I enjoy listening to your voice. And if you're really not sure though, I do recommend not just relying on your own opinion, record a sample and it, you don't need high tech equipment to do a, a basic sample. Just record some sample and send it to some readers if you have some send it to some listeners you can even not mention it's your voice if they don't know and get their honest feedback hey would you listen to uh, this person narrate the book and when you get that objective feedback then it's no longer about your personal opinion it's about what do people actually think and feel whenever they hear your narration so that will help decide if it's a good idea to do your your own book and the reason why it, it is generally I, I like doing your own book in many cases is that you'll save a lot of money it's hundreds to thousands of dollars to do hire a narrator for an audiobook. And for probably less than 150 bucks, certainly less than 200 bucks, you can get all the equipment you need for not only audiobooks, but then if you ever go on podcast, if you ever do videos, audio is important. If you do really anything with audio, and nowadays so many things are virtual, so many things require having a good audio setup that it's going to make sense to just go ahead and invest in the setup one way or another to do audio. So the, that's a few ideas. With that being said, if a person just can't do their own own audiobook, some people I, – I think the time – we'll talk about the tips. It's not actually that much extra time to do an, your own audiobook, at least to narrate it. Then you can outsource the editing. But that could be a factor. If you're super busy, you got 20 projects going on, and you just want to outsource it to a narrator, I can appreciate that. So those are some general guidelines. Before I get into tips, any questions or comments on that? No, I think you're right. And I have, I did narrate a couple of my short stories for fiction, but I have outsourced all, all the rest of my fiction full length. I'm actually just, um, doing another one right now, Map of Shadows. And because I just decided that I don't have the time and the bandwidth to do fiction, which I think is much harder than nonfiction, but I have narrated um, my last four or five nonfiction audiobooks. So I think probably the first thing is if, especially if you, if you write nonfiction, fiction is definitely easier if you write fiction and you want to give it a go I mean I always point people to uh, Matt Buckman ML Buckman who is a romance author he's been on the show and he does his own romance um, novels and his readers many of whom are women obviously love to hear his voice narrating the romance so I think you can definitely do your fiction but I think there's it's probably a larger proportion of non-fiction authors who can do their own than, than fiction but yes Give us some tips. 
Yeah, and I'll second that and say that with fiction, you also have the consideration. I wouldn't say it's absolutely essential, but your artistic choice may be I want to have more acting uh, chops going into the narration, more acting ability, more ability to really get into these characters. And someone who's been trained on that is definitely going to have an advantage over someone who has never done that before. And so, yes, fiction, it's more likely uh, that a person might uh, see the benefits of hiring a narrator. And then nonfiction, you have this added authority. People get to know you. It's this whole know and trust thing. And going back to this idea that you might be building a bigger business beyond the book. So when people hear you in their head, just like here on a podcast, it creates this deeper connection that you're able to get. So it's not only easier, it also gives you that added connection piece where people can really feel and sense who you are, which can then tie into your bigger business goals. So going into some tips for narrating your own audiobook. First thing, uh, got to get the the right equipment. A lot of people, uh, let's start with the microphone. I recommend what's called a dynamic microphone. And you don't have to know all the ins and outs of this. I learned this in music school and the basic take-home point is that uh, a condenser microphone is going to be very sensitive. It's going to pick up a lot of background noise. And a condenser microphone, something like a Blue Yeti, uh, Blue Snowball, many mics are condenser microphones. That can work if you're in a very quiet environment. If you try to do an audiobook with one of those mics, though, I find that it'll pick up a lot more of the room reverb. It'll pick up just any air conditioners, any outside noise, cars driving by. Depending on your environment, it can be really sensitive. And I can hear whenever someone sends me a sample, I'm almost always able to tell. I go, was this a Blue Yeti or is this a condenser microphone? And I'm, I'm pretty sure almost every time they said yes when I've had a strong suspicion that it was. So a dynamic microphone has a lot less sensitivity to that, which is a good thing. It gives you more of that this warm, present sound. So examples of a dynamic microphone, the ATR2100, which is what I use. It's now the ATR2100X by Audio-Technica, Samsung Q2U, which is available in different countries, and uh, the Audio-Technica AT2005. So those are a few mics off the top of my head, and most of them, depending on what price you find it at, uh, they're selling out now more as more people are getting microphones, but uh, 100 bucks or less typically for one of these microphones. So getting the right type of microphone is going to be key. Next thing is if you can record in a small environment, like a small room, that's ideal. So not a bathroom because that's usually going to have tiles and be reflective. But if you're in a a living room, that's not too big or a walk-in closet, especially if you got some clothes hanging up, deadens the sound, that's great. But what if you're what if you don't have an environment like that? So I used to live in a, a big open loft. It was just not good for recording audiobooks. It was terrible. And my attitude was like, okay, great. If I can figure out a solution in this environment, it'll work anywhere. So after racking my brain for a while, I came up with this idea and it worked perfectly. You can set up a patio umbrella. So imagine you're just at your computer desk and you put a patio umbrella up it opens up and you throw a big thick blanket over the top of it. So it encloses you. And I know this is trying to describe it through audio. So you Oh, no, I can imagine it. I can imagine yeah. it. Yeah. So imagine the blankets wrapping around you, wrapping in front of you. And you have, you're in this enclosure where you can have your computer screen, you can have your microphone sitting right in front of you. And this created the perfect on command, on demand home studio setup. And so I don't know what I paid 50 bucks for a patio umbrella. But like you got that, and now whenever you're doing something with audio where you really need a clean, pristine sound like an audiobook, 
you just pop this thing up, record underneath it, and it sounded great. And then you just pop it down, put it away. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to sit there you know, through the whole day with a, a giant umbrella next to you. So you just take it out when you need it. And so even if you're in like one of the worst possible environments, you can do a setup like that. And I want to make it clear, you pr- most people will not need to go to that level to do it. This is just if you're in like a really big open space and you want to give yourself a, a great quality sound. So that's that piece. I do recommend recording standing up possible. Obviously, if you have some physical condition where you can't stand up, then you do your best to sitting down. If you can stand up, whether that's a standing desk, whether that's putting the either printing out or taking your book or an e-reader and putting it on a music stand and then using a, a microphone stand to, to elevate yourself, it is ideal to record and, and put yourself in proper posture standing up. So that's another thing. And I use Audacity, which is free, audacityteam.org. It's Mac and PC compatible. They've had some issues with the recent Catalina updates, but I've found that students who I've taught this to, they are able to use even the Catalina update. Sometimes they use the workaround. It has been working, although it technically, last I checked, uh, wasn't up to date. And so they'll probably be updating that at some point. And with, the, with Audacity, it includes some different effects and things that help cut out the noise, that help get the volume level. But you do need to know... The process, and it's the reason why I teach people and, and coach people through the process, you do need to know how to cut out the mistakes, cut out the breath noises, background noise, make sure the sentence uh, length is not these super long or super short gaps, and uh, get the audio quality right. So that's, that gets into a little bit more technical sort of stuff. At least for now, though, consider that if you have this equipment set up, whether or not you want to do your own audiobooks or not, just knowing this, good mics to use and and posture and, and sound setup, that's going to be useful for anything that you do, including podcasts or, or anything else with audio. Great tips there, Derek. I I am standing up now and I have a I actually have a, a booth that I have had built. And uh, for people listening, it's at thecreativepen.com forward slash home studio. But I do indeed have a music stand <laughs> with my uh, iPad on, which I, I turn off the Wi-Fi and everything. But I do feel like uh, we talked at the beginning about the lessons that you learn along the way. And I feel like with self-narration, we can say again we can say the tip so like another one for me is you don't start your sentence with your mouth closed you start your sentence with your mouth open because it gets rid of lip smacking noise and means less editing (laughs) again that's quite a detailed tip but you learn these things by actually doing it so exactly what you said is great stuff and and sometimes you don't even know what your environment sounds like until you record yourself speaking in it and then you realize that it it's noisier than you you expected because you're a musician your hearing will be very attuned but I definitely found my hearing has got more intense like the more audio I've done is is that something exactly yes and especially when you're first starting out you won't necessarily hear the difference because you don't have anything to compare it to so Mm. to make sense of that if I record if I just record an audio sample and play it for someone they'll be like oh that sounds fine but then if I record a different sample with a different mic and a different setup that sounds way cleaner then all of a sudden they'll go, oh, now I hear the difference because there's an A-B comparison. Then they go back and hear the original recording, which maybe wasn't as good of a mic, wasn't as good of a setup, or it just wasn't – not that it's a good or bad mic, but maybe wasn't the proper mic for the job. And then they can hear it. So imagine if I've heard uh, hundreds if not thousands of audiobook samples and, and snippets and uh, not just audio but 
recording music and doing all these things that I've done for years, you're going to start to hear it and you just don't really have that ability until you start doing it yourself and hearing comparisons to things. It's kind of like book covers. And mm. so, sometimes I see authors, they have a book cover and then this looks like a good cover. And I'm like in isolation, yeah, the book cover looks okay. And they'll get feedback from people. They'll post it in a group and be like, oh, this is a great cover. But I look at it and I go, I know what the covers look like in that genre and I know what you're competing against. And yes, while if you only look at that cover, it might look decent. Stick it next to 10 other books in the genre that are much more professionally designed and polished. And you can see how much it sticks out like a sore thumb of a cover that just doesn't look as good. So learning to compare what you're doing with what other people are used to seeing or hearing, that will help you eventually develop your own ability to calibrate these things. Mm, no, fantastic. And just in terms of the economics, I found um, that, for example, for my for my novel, I'm paying $400 per finished hour. So it's going to cost me a couple of thousand to to get my novels done. We'll put, by the time it's all done, trilogy, it will probably be around $10,000. And I'm investing in creating an asset, as you say. But with my self-narration, it doesn't necessarily cost me the money. It costs me time. And I do my own, I tend to do my own editing and then I pay for a professional mastery, mastering of the file. So it's, it's either going to cost you time or money. So what have you found the, any other thoughts on the economics of audiobooks? Well, let's look at the time component because that is, if you're doing your own audiobook, that is going to be the, the biggest issue. And, and even if you're hiring a narrator, there is a little time involved. And I'll, I'll point this out. And that is you'll want to audition a few different narrators, listen to some samples of them. And then when they send back the audiobook, I highly recommend you listen to the entire audiobook. You want to listen for any mistakes that they might have made. And, and in my experience, I had one book of mine that I hired a narrator for because it was the first book and I hadn't figured out how to do it myself yet. And there's just some mispronunciations of names and he couldn't have known that. I didn't really think about it. So not a big deal. Just let him know, hey, chapter seven at four minutes and 37 seconds, you said it like this. Can you re-record it and say it like whatever and, mm. and give him the explanation, him or her, the, the narrator. So you do want to do that. You want to do some proofing of the, the audiobook, even from a narrator. Now, if you're doing it yourself, yes, this is going to be where you're now investing time. And what I found happened is I, I wasn't even thinking about this at first until I did the last book that I published, which I got, I sent out to beta readers I got their feedback and made corrections. I sent it to my editor. The editor made corrections. And then now I got the book. It's, it's about ready to publish. And I'm going to do a final read through. And when I read through something, I also highly suggest you read through your work out loud, at least for a couple passes, because you will catch things that you do not catch in your head. Okay. So then I thought, well, I'm going to read through it out loud. Why not just hit the record button and go ahead and, and do the audio narration at the same time? So in that moment, I go, oh, yeah, I'm doing this anyway. I'm going to be going through the process of reading it out loud. And I do recommend, okay, I, I want to make it clear. You've already gone through several rounds of edits, okay? You may have already read it out loud a couple times where you're just focusing on the editing process because you don't want your attention split too much between the narration and the proofing. But once it got through all that proofing, doing that final proof, read it out loud, narrated it, and sure enough, I caught some mistakes and I just hit pause on the recording change the wording. And a lot of the mistakes at that point are just like, I don't like the way that sentence sounds. I want to rewrite that or, or whatever it is. So I was catching 
spelling and grammar, primarily just wording mistakes, I would call it. And so I go, I, I was doing this anyway. I would have been going through that process and now I got the recording done. Then it becomes a matter of doing the editing. The editing with the process that I teach can be very quick of if you delete the mistakes after the fact and, and do this. And I realize it will take me, let's say if it's an hour long audiobook, the whole process I can do in about three hours. So three hours per finished hour of audio book. Now that's very quick once you get it down and that's also nonfiction because there's not as much uh, to it. So what happens is I was going to spend the hour and a half to read through about an hour of material and then an hour and a half for editing. So I don't want to get too much into the numbers, but long story short, I realized that it's actually not that much longer to narrate your own audiobook if you're going to read it out loud anyway, which again, I suggest, and then you can decide either to outsource the editing or do the editing yourself. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a, a good point with nonfiction and you are going to have to check it even if someone else does it anyway. Yeah, and I think uh, it's good because you're obviously very confident in your reading. Three three hours to produce one finished hour is very good. And I would say to people, it is not like that at the beginning. You're probably looking more like 10 hours per finished hour when you if you're just starting out from scratch in terms of learning how the mic works and practicing and all of that. But it's the type of skill that once you upskill, you can then, your return becomes more and more the more you do. So that's fantastic. Then I, I just want to ask you about marketing audiobooks because I feel like the the scene has changed. It used to be that realistically the only option was ACX and Audible, but now I use Find Your Way Voices. We've got uh, BookBub's Chirp has just come on the scene. Obviously, there's different types of advertising. What do you think are some of the most effective ways of marketing audiobooks? The first uh, confession that I have is I have not put as much attention into the marketing side of audiobooks. And the reason being is I don't distinguish the audiobook marketing. And this isn't, I'm not encouraging this. I'm just saying for me, I have uh, a number of other things that I do. So when I sell audiobooks, a lot of times it's just a byproduct of sending people to Amazon. And then people select do they want to get the ebook? Do they want to get the uh, print book? Do they want to get the audiobook? So I'm doing things like if you do things like Amazon ads, I see an uptick in audiobook sales and it won't necessarily show in the dashboard but that's if you just like test pausing the campaign versus turning it on. I've seen this myself. I've seen it with students where turning on ads, sure enough, spikes the audiobook sales and certainly email marketing, you know, sending people to the, the Amazon page. Certain people are going to get the audiobook edition because that's what they prefer. So for me, I'm just like I'm book marketing and then is the way I look at it, like all the things I do to market books. And then if people get the audio edition, that just happens as a, a byproduct of what they're choosing to do. So I'll say my tips for marketing audiobooks are the same tips that I give for marketing any books. And that's what I call the Aspire method. So the Aspire method, I, I looked at all the different ways you can market a book, what the most effective ways are from the most successful authors. And I boiled it down to this acronym Aspire. And A stands for ads. S stands for social media. I stands for influencers, R, uh, right, P uh, stands for platforms, uh, so going on podcasts just like this, platforms, publications, I, influencers, are readers, getting readers to promote your book and share your book, and E stands for email marketing. So there are a few specific strategies I've done with audiobooks, certainly letting people know that you can get it for free if they don't have an audible membership yet, right? If it's your, if it's the first time they signed up for Audible, you can get a bounty sale if someone gets your audiobook for free on Audible. Another thing is letting a person know if it's WhisperSync, hey, if you get the Kindle edition, which is on sale, you can also pick up the 
Audible or the audiobook rather edition for only maybe it's a dollar ninety nine, depending on how Amazon sets it up. So they're letting people know you have the audiobook. And also when you produce the audiobook, that's another thing I do. It's, it's again, it's primarily through email. So I just think email marketing is my whole umbrella term for that. And then saying, hey, the new audiobook edition is out. And then that gives you a reason if you launch the audiobook later, let's say it comes out a month or a few months or maybe even a year or two after your first edition print or Kindle comes out or ebook, then saying, hey, the audiobook is now available. You can get it. You can get it here. And anytime this is, again, just general book marketing, anytime you can offer bonuses for picking something up uh, for a limited time. And then I also use this is using it. It's not just marketing the audiobook. It's it's the flip side of that, using the audiobook for marketing by saying, hey, when you get this book, I'm going to include the audiobook as a bonus. Uh, I did a thing where I sold the the ebook on my own website and I sold the audiobook and then I said you can bundle them together and get the ebook and the audiobook edition at a discount. So selling directly on your own website the audiobook. And uh, so there's a number of things there. I will say again though I'm not the master of all things audiobook marketing. I approach it like I'm marketing all my books and then letting people know about the audiobook edition if that's the one that they want. Mm, I totally agree. And I think that every time you do a promotion on your ebook, for example, then you do get audio sales. You're exactly right. And I, I think there are audio specific things, but what you're saying is the bulk of them, I think, in that area. So you you have a really good course. And the reason I like your course is because uh, it's not too complicated. So I think some of these courses are like super overcomplicated, but yours isn't. And also you help people, like you said, with their samples and, and stuff like that which the technical side I think is very scary when people are are primarily think of themselves as creative as opposed to technical so tell people a bit more about your course on audio and uh, where they can find you and everything you do online my course is called audiobooks made easy and the reason I created it was I realized that people a lot of people are going to need this step-by-step walkthrough especially when it comes to doing the editing and things like that. But also, they need some personal handholding because what I've seen happen with some authors, even uh, students in my course, they'll go through, they'll learn everything, but they run the risk. If they didn't have coaching, they could record their entire audiobook, not realize something was messed up, and it gets rejected. They have no idea why it was rejected. And then they find out that they have to re record the entire thing all over again, which is not fun, uh, kind of a nightmare <laughs> scenario. So what happens is with students who get audiobooks made easy, it, you would send a sample to me, not only to get the training, but then I listen to it. And this is where I catch, oh, you don't have the right microphone selected, which happens uh, quite often, even though the instructions are there. Again, if you're not techie, you might overlook it, not realize the volumes, not at the right level and all these things. So we catch it early on with a two minute sample. And then you have the confidence to go, Okay, you got the green light. I'm doing everything properly. I've applied all the effects properly. It's edited the way it needs to be done. All of this with a short sample. Then you have the confidence to go forward and do your entire audiobook. So if you are uh, considering doing your own audiobook, then uh, that's something I would invite you to check out. And you could go directly to audiobooksmadeeasy.com. And I've also put together, I'm going to do a, a master class. Either it will be live or it will be on a replay, depending on when you you hear this. And you can get the the masterclass to learn more about what the options are, see if doing your own audiobook is right for you, get your questions answered, happy to answer anyone's questions if you email me. And uh, that will help you see, make a, a decision if this is right for you. And all that I'm going to be putting at 
bestsellersecrets.com slash Joanna. Fantastic. Well, uh, Derek, that was super useful. I, I always think that as much as you know about audio and doing this kind of production, it is a skill you have to learn. So I really appreciate your tips. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show today. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me, Joanna. So I hope you found that interview with Derek interesting today and that it gave you some ideas for your audiobooks. Next week, I'm talking to David Gochran about starting from zero and success with BookBub ads, amongst many other things, because David is always brimful of super useful information for indie authors. So that's coming up next week. And of course, David is Irish and he has a lovely voice. So you will enjoy that. Uh, Happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.